Hi ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so very much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are looking at Hebrews chapter 6 as a quick recap about where we are with Hebrews. Traditionally, it was thought that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, and some King James Version Bibles have Hebrews, the epistle of the Apostle Paul. But this is not listed in the book, and there is great debate about this. Most of the time, I lean toward the traditional view, but not this time. For me, the clincher is found in chapter 2, verse 3b and 4. After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. It sounds as if the writer of this letter was not called by the Lord Jesus himself, but he heard the gospel, the good news about Jesus through the apostles And in almost every one of Paul's letters, he stressed the fact that he was called directly by Jesus and he was an apostle. The point is that no one knows for sure who wrote it. And the truth is it does not matter because that would not change the information in the letter. Then the next issue with Hebrews is that it is unlike any other letter in the New Testament. At the end of the letter, chapter 13, verse 22, the writer said, But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. This letter is more like a sermon than a letter. One thing that seems clear is that the word of exhortation was written to Christian Jews because he used the word brethren and so many of his examples are from the Old Testament Jewish faith without explanation. So the readers know the Old Testament. What we do not know is if they were from the church in Jerusalem or somewhere else. We also do not know exactly when it was written. But I hold to the view that is held by many that it was written before AD 70, which was when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. Because it seems that these Jewish Christians wanted to go back to their Jewish ways. And the writer is encouraging them to stay faithful to Jesus. So far in the letter, the writer told us that Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets because he fulfilled the prophecies. Jesus is better than angels because angels were created and Jesus is the creator. The angels worship Jesus. Jesus is better than Moses because Moses was a faithful servant of God, but Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is better than Joshua because even though Joshua brought the children of Israel into the promised land, he could not provide for them the Sabbath rest that can only be found in Jesus. Then we find that Jesus is better than Aaron, the high priest, because before Aaron could offer sacrifices for his people, he first needed to make a sacrifice for his sins. But Jesus is sinless. In chapter 5, we learn that Jesus is not under the line of the priests of the Levites, like Aaron was, but Jesus is a priest according to Melchizedek. 
We will cover that in chapter 7. But first, the writer has a fourth warning of falling away from his readers in chapter 6. In chapter 2, verse 1, he wrote, For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. Then in chapter 3, verse 12, he wrote, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Then in chapter 4, verse 11, he wrote, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Chapter 5 ended with the writer disappointed that they have become dull of hearing. They are still on the ABCs of salvation instead of growing in their faith. They can't handle solid foods because they're like babies who can only drink milk. They have not trained themselves to discern good and evil. And then we have chapter 6 verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. And then he lists some dead works, such as washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Here, the writer is encouraging them to grow in their faith so that they can be Christian adults no matter what their earthly age is. If a believer only worked on the foundation, then the house would never be built. As Christians, our foundation is Christ Jesus. His death, resurrection, and ascension put to death our need to try and keep the law. That is dead works. Keeping the law never brings life. Only Jesus can do that. The writer said in verse 3 that if he has time, he will cover those issues that were found in verse 2. Then verses 4 through 6. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. According to my New American Standard Study Bible, in the first century, a pagan who investigated Christianity and then went back to paganism made a clean break with the church. But for Jewish Christians who decided to return to Judaism, the break was less obvious. Their lifestyle remained relatively unchanged, but by deliberately turning away from Christ, they were cutting themselves off from God's forgiveness. Those who persevere in believing are true saints. Those who continue to reject Christ are unbelievers, no matter how well they behave. This makes me think of Acts chapter 21 verse 20, which was after Paul's third missionary journey, and he had ended up in Jerusalem. He shared with the Jewish church about all that God had done through him with his work with the Gentiles. And then it reads, And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands were among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. When I first read that, I was concerned, and yet I found it interesting that James and the elders thought this was a good thing. 
Then verse 21 reads, And they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. Now this was in Acts chapter 21, and the Jerusalem council, which was in Acts chapter 15, which decided that Gentiles did not need to be circumcised to be saved, has happened. Yet what does a Jew do? Do they stop circumcising their children, even though this has been their mark of being set apart from the beginning covenant with Abraham? Should Jews stay Jewish even though they are now Christian? The law is good. It reflects who God is, and it was set up to protect his people, yet we are not saved by the law, and we cannot keep the law because of our sinful nature. So what is a Jew to do? Now, Charles A. Trentham said, I doubt that the passage before us was intended in the purpose of the Spirit to be the solid basis for the formulation of a doctrine of either apostasy, which means falling away or leaving Christianity, or spiritual security. It needs to be understood, I believe, in relation to the central purpose of Hebrews. End of quote. Now, there are a few things to point out in these verses. Number one, the word impossible. Number two, it is clear that the writer of Hebrews is talking of someone who experienced salvation. They were enlightened. They tasted of the heavenly gift. They were companions with the Holy Spirit. They tasted God's word and power. Number three, with each of the writer's warnings, he warns them to not fall away which, by the way, is a purposeful act, not just backsliding. But if they do fall away, number four, they can't re-crucify Jesus. As I said before with his warnings, one thing we are not to do is to just brush these warnings away. We are to pay attention. He is warning the reader to cling to Jesus because then he says in verses 7 and 8 that those who receive Christ, they bear fruit, but those who turn away produce thorns and thistles and are worthless, cursed, and burned. Then the letter turns around and verse 9 reads, But, beloved, We are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. Even though they are warning the Jewish believers, they have hope that they will continue to be faithful to Christ. Here the writer addressed them as beloved or dear friends. He continued in the next verses, reminding them that God knows their work, their service to other believers, their love for the name of Jesus. Then he encouraged them to continue and stay faithful and to keep their hope and to imitate those who inherit the promise through faith, not through works, and how they persevered. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer has a long list of Old Testament heroes of the faith that they should emulate. In verses 9 through 20, the writer included the word hope four times. One thing this passage helps me to realize that these Jewish Christians were being persecuted either by Jews or Gentiles. We do not know. 
But if you remember, Rome was burnt down in AD 64. And since Nero blamed the Christians, this started the persecution of Christians in the Roman world. Life was hard for these believers, and that is one of the reasons that the writer wants them to stay faithful and to consider the faith of those who came before, so that they can realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Verse 11. Another word that is used throughout the book of Hebrews is promises. According to Jim Townsend, the word promise is found more in Hebrews than in any other New Testament book. Then the writer told of Abraham and the promise that God gave him for his descendants. Now, Abraham's story is found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 and 17. It was 25 years from the time God had promised him a son, which is found in Genesis chapter 17, verse 16, to Isaac's birth. Leon Morris said Abraham's grandchildren were not born for another 60 years. Genesis chapter 25, verse 26, only 15 years before his death. Genesis chapter 25, verse 7. During the days of Abraham to make an oath, one needed to have a witness. So God used his nature and his promise as his witness. As Townsend said again, the one who is all truth puts himself under oath. Just a note in verse 17, we see the word impossible again. Here it is said that it is impossible for God to lie. And because of that, we can have strong encouragement and we can take hold of the hope set before us. God's heavenly promise is still before us. And then chapter six ends. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. When we hope in Jesus, that hope is sure, secure, reliable, and it is a firm anchor. It helps us from drifting away like a boat. Leviticus 16 describes the role of the high priest as he enters the Holy of Holies for the Day of Atonement. And here in Hebrews, the writer tells his reader that Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner. Leon Moore said, but to call Jesus our forerunner implies that we will follow in due course. Jesus approached God's presence, not like Aaron and his line, but like Melchizedek, which we will study tomorrow. In verse 18, the encouragement for the reader is that we who have taken refuge in Jesus Christ would take hold of the hope set before us. Leon Morris said, the word offered pictures hope lying before us, spread out like some inviting prospect, and we are encouraged to go into it. So ladies, how is your hope? In a world of wars and rumors of wars and financial insecurity, do you have the hope of God and his promises? Adoniram Judson, a missionary, once said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Are you going into that hope that is found in Jesus? Do you need an anchor for your life as the waves toss and turn? It is found in Jesus and his sacrifice. And one promise he made was, 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. This is found in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 and in verse 8 and in Joshua chapter 1 verse 5 and the writer of Hebrews uses it in chapter 13 verse 5. So ladies, today if you have heard his voice, please don't harden your heart and turn away. Instead, let's be women who walk in faith, hang on to the hope that is set before us, and trust that the God who cannot lie will keep his word and will not fail or forsake us. Until next time, and thank you so very much for listening.